So good evening ladies and gentlemen, it's another brilliant evening. You're welcome once again to the Value Nigeria podcast. Um, today, the date of recording is the 16th uh, of November. It's a Thursday evening. And um, uh, first, let me apologize that it's been so, so, so long that we brought an episode last. Um, I look forward to our conversation this evening and I hope that the quality of the guests that we have on the show this evening will make up for the past few weeks that we've been off the air. Um, how has all our investing been? We've had Q3 results coming a few weeks ago and it's been exciting to see the results of the banks. Uh, lots of happenings in the market. I hope you are investing safely. Um, my guest this evening, um, so we're lucky enough to have a big fish let me put it that way, in the house. <laughs> so the Yoruba people will say, you know, when you have a big fish, then you call the whole town to come and join you in eating. So yes, we have a big fish in the house. Um, <laughs> my guest tonight is the Chief Investment Officer for Cordos Securities Nigeria. Uh, we'll get to hear much more about um, the, the firm and what they do and his office, even as we start the conversation. Uh, but my guest is far and wide is fast is very studied he's worked all over the globe in fact i don't th since the day we've been having guests i don't think we've had anybody as um as vast and as um, traveled as my guest this evening uh, i'll just let the cat out of the bag and i'll let him do all the introductions himself uh, my guest this evening is mr arnold dublin green uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show this evening sir Thank you for having me on the show, Sajibola. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the, uh, the, the the introduction that you've given me. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Don't worry. I, I wasn't flattering you. And when we reel out your CV or when you start sharing your experience, I'm sure the guests would agree that even that little introduction didn't do enough justice uh, to, to your repertoire. Um, all right. Um, first, we'd we'll, we'll like to get to know our guests a little bit better on the show. Um, just to understand who you are today and what you do today, it's best if we could get a glimpse into who you were yesterday. Um, so if you don't mind just okay. sharing a little bit about your personal, educational and professional background so far, sir, would appreciate that. No problem. Um, I'm not sure how personal I, sh I, I should get, but um, my name is Arnold uh, Dublin Green. Um, I am, as you said, the Chief Investment Officer of Cordial's Asset Management. Um, so I'll just correct it there slightly. So you have Cordial Securities, which is more on the securities brokerage side, and I'm on the asset management, asset management side. Of, uh, of quarters asset management, which is all under the quarters group with um, very different uh, branches of very, very different arms um, for quarters capital in general. Um, but I mean, um, I've been in, um, in finance for slightly over 15 years. Um, started off in England um, as, a, as a junior sales trader for a securities business, um, or rather, junior trader, and then moving into sales trading for a securities business in, in, in the city. Um, working more on the um, as a on the European equities and, and equity derivatives desk. Um, I started off in I think 2007, 2008. Um, just right around you know the whole um, subprime, the whole huge market, market crash that had all the, all the big banks. So all the big big banks collapsed. So it's, it's from right off the bat, it was a very interesting, extremely interesting career because I, as soon as I started a few months in I saw change 
um, or rather change. Yeah, I was I was around the time when everything changed. Uh, when when which goes into the topic of our, our our the theme of our conversation. When you know fixed income started to outperform equities, um, and then we'll probably talk about how it all started around then with you know our quantitative easing and 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 you know global rates, global interest rates, and global yields going down. So we'll talk about that later. Um, so from then, I think 2011, so around 2011 or so, I wanted to get a bit more into the African market space. Um, I was a little bit disillusioned with the European market space and maybe Nigerian um, in a city. I think I just wanted to know what else was out there. And so I, I got a job at a, at a hedge fund, an African-focused hedge fund run by a gentleman, uh, a former UBS board member by the name of Tatu Ajari. Um, at the time, he was one of the biggest um, African-focused hedge funds um, and so he took it upon himself to hire me um, to run a, a book with him about $120 million managing um, cross uh, assets, multi-strategy across the continent. So from Cairo to Cape Town, we were trading equities in Egypt, which is in South Africa, um, bonds in Nigeria, equities in Kenya, just across the board. I did that for a while in London. Um, but unfortunately, around 2014 or 2015, when oil prices went from you know, $120 a barrel to $20 a barrel. So what feels like overnight um, when commodity markets just went crazy. Um, Africa at the time being a very commodity story just meant that a lot of dollar investors at the time, a lot of dollar investors that wanted to get involved in Africa just didn't like Africa. And, and at the time we're long, you know, iron, iron ore stocks, iron ore bonds, oil stocks, oil bonds, and, and, and all the African countries that you can imagine. So when the portfolio started going down, um, unfortunately we lost some of our biggest clients. We had to uh, we had to sort of wind down the fund, um, and then I moved to Johannesburg um, with a company called with, a, with an, uh, an investment bank called African Alliance, where I worked um, as head of institution there for a while, and I set up the fixed income trading desk there as well. Because when I when I joined African Alliance, it was mainly um, an equities business on the side that I was. And so while I was in Joburg, while I was trading equities and, 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 and managing equity clients, I also started to um, open and run and create a, a fixed income book. So trading local Nigeria, um, local Ghana, where, where it could be traded, um, local Kenyan bonds, as well as uh, euro bonds, which is what I, I did while I was in uh, Nubuke, which is a hedge fund anyway. So, um, so from, from Johannesburg, I, um, I I moved to Ghana. I had an opportunity to to run um, an Africa um, fund for EcoBank, um, and I, I sat in a car. But I sat in a car when I was managing a uh, fund that um, uh, while while I joined EcoBank, we created something we called the Middle Africa Bond Index. So the idea of the Middle Africa Bond Index is that there was nothing of of its kind at the time, and I don't believe it still is. It was a, it was a combination of all the local um, bonds in what we called, or still call called Middle Africa. So that comprised of Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, and as well as some obscure bonds that no one really traded and no one really knew about. So Togo, Benin Republic, Senegal, and Cote d'Ivoire, um, all local currency stuff. Um, so the idea was we'd create this index and then we'd go ahead and raise some money and, and use the money to to create a fund that we call the Middle Africa Fund Index Fund. And this fund would then act as, as um, it, it, will, it will make, it will, it, it will, I guess, generate alpha, but also act as a market maker because the idea was we wanted to, 
to to make these country bonds to be a lot more um, accessible, a lot more liquid for different people. At the time, Nigeria was the biggest uh, in, in, in the in, in the in the composition anyway, and it still is. Um, and also in terms of liquidity, but then you had local currency bonds like Kenya that people didn't really know about. Some local currency bonds like Ghana that people sort of knew about, but um, was very hard to, to trade in terms of liquidity and market to market. This was at the time, which is maybe 2016 or 2017. And then you had um, the Ivorian bonds, you had the Benin Republic local bonds, the Togolese local bonds, uh, as well as the Senegalese local bonds that, that no one knew about, especially if you're outside Francophone Africa. Um, so we did that successfully. Um, I ran that for a couple of years. Uh, we managed to make some money, trade that, generate some alpha. And then I, um, I just decided to, while I was in Ghana, I decided to set up my own business while I was there um, called African Security. But then anyway, we moved on. Um, fast forward now in 2023, I'm in Kodras. And whilst I'm in Kodras, same, I'm a chief investment officer, you know, helping clients generate alpha in their investment their portfolios. Um, and at Codris, we manage about um, four or five funds at, as I speak right now, whilst we're working on other products to create, we work in the infrastructure fund and the works, we have a real estate fund in the works, just different asset classes for different investors to be able to uh, take advantage of, of, of the market in, in different ways. Perfect. Thank you very, very and much that's for that. That's my TV. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm, I'm sure the guests listening now agree with me why I've, I, I said you, 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 have, you, have, you know, the introduction did not do yeah. enough justice. Um, <laughs> just before we go into the nitty gritty of the conversation today, um, your name, particularly your last name, Dublin Green, it, it doesn't sound Nigerian. It doesn't give me that Nigerian vibe. <laughs> Do you mind if I inquired a little bit about the origins of where you are from originally? Uh, sure, please. Um, I'm Nigerian. I am as Nigerian as they come. Um, I'm from, um, my, my mother's from Anambra State. I'll start with that. My mother's Igbo from Anambra State. But I'm from, um, I'm, my father's from Bonnie Island in River State. So, um, quite a, you know, but River, but River sorry, Bonnie Island is very known for um, um, English things, English last things. You have, you have Ezekiel Hart, you have Dublin Green, you have Green, you have um, Brown, you have, you know, different, um, quite a, a few English things. So, um, I guess I'm, I'm sort of educating the, the non, the uneducated on the, um, on the English surnames of, 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 of um, a few Bonnie Island in, indigents. So, it's, uh, it's as Nigerian as they come. Perfect. So definitely, I, I, you can count me educated now because I never knew about those um, very interesting names. I only thought I, I thought it was only Lagos that had all the interesting, you know, English names. Sort of. <laughs> yeah, we do too. We do too. All right. Perfect. Um, now, do you mind if we just go back to the very beginning? How did you decide okay. or how did you determine that a career in finance was what interested you? Um... It's, it's a bit of a hard one. So I'm not sure exactly when, as much as I'd like to have an origin story and have a light bulb moment. Um, I don't think I had a, I, I specifically had a light bulb moment. I think my, my moving to finance is very slow. I actually um, studied music and wanted to be a musician. Um, but also whilst I was in school, um, I, I, got, I got introduced to, I guess, cannot, I, I, I remember sitting in an economics class and learning about the footy. Um, and having a bit of interest in that, I, I remember learning about being able to make, uh, it felt like making money without money. 
Um, but then also, I also remember opening um, uh, something called a, a CFD account and a spread betting account in, you know, with IG Market, TMT Market, um, and, and, and there was a platform at the time called City Index. And I remember, you know, taking money from people and trading, buying and selling whenever I could without really much knowledge of the market. You know, buying a Barclays stock, a Barclays CFD, uh, contract for difference, buying, a, you know, spread betting on Lloyd's, spread betting on, on different stocks that I knew at the time that was around me in England whilst I was quite young in my probably late teens and early 20s. Let's call it late teens. Um, but, but regardless, it didn't, I made some money, I lost some money. It was just something that interested me. I, I, I always liked the idea of winning. Um, so I, I, I like the idea of being right. You know, I, you know, you have an idea, you read something in the papers, you know, you, you, you buy a stock um, or you, you place a bet in your spread betting account and, and it goes up or you place an option trade on, on whatever platform you use and, and it goes up or you, you buy a gold contract and it goes up or you have a, you know, I just remember liking the feeling of, of, of being right with my ideas. Um, and it's, but regardless, I, I think that even at the time of doing that, I still wanted to be a musician. You know, I'll be, I'll be backstage um, in a bar or a you know, bar in London or in Ireland and I'll, I'll place a bet and I'll, I'll place a bet at night or I'll trade an Asian stock or, or put some money in the Hang Seng Index future. And while I'm on stage singing or playing the piano, I'm thinking about this position. Um, but still, I don't think I, I thought that I'd ever get a, I don't think I'd, I thought that I'd ever um, actually have a career. And I just thought it, it was just a bit of fun. It was, it was, I called it beer money. It was, you know, rather than buying beer, you know, buying a, buying a, a gold future, a, a contract, a spot gold, mini spot gold contract didn't cost much, right? Um, and in, and in, and in conversations with different people, just talking about what I, things I did for fun, um, I, I, um, I, I bumped into a gentleman and I was just telling him what I did and he said to me, um, why don't you go to this firm on Monday for a job interview um, as, as a junior trader? Uh, you know, and I thought to myself, oh, yeah, why not? And when I went there, I was I was really young. I remember going in, and they give you this math test, right? And I remember thinking, I don't know what I'm doing here, right? You know, being the only black kid and a bunch of smart-looking white kids, and there's one black kid and one Turkish kid and a couple of Asian kids. <laughs> and you're like, mm, okay. And then they ask you these questions of why you want to do it. And you're like, uh, you know, I just, what I do. And, and, and um, at the time, I think I went with one of my tra- trading statements to this interview. And I think that impressed them. But I remember then being given a math test. But I don't think I did well in that test. So I walked out thinking I didn't get the job. Um, and lo and behold, I got the job. <laughs> wow. But even whilst I was working, I was working for Peanuts at the time, right? Because you're a junior and, you're, and, you're, and when you're there, you're getting sent from desk to desk. So you spend about two, three, two, three weeks in you know, the commodities desk and you're in the equities desk and you're on the fixed income desk. And even then, I didn't, I didn't think I was special. Um, I just thought, okay, I'm doing this. But I was still was doing my occasional London gigs around London and, and singing for the London um, Community Gospel Choir in London. Um, because I didn't really think I'd get it. I just thought, what am I? I didn't know what I was doing here. But lo and behold, um, <laughs> 15 years later, I'm a chief investment officer. So um, I guess that's kind of how it works. But just to go back, I didn't really think that I wasn't, I, I didn't have a, a eureka moment. It was just so slowly and slowly. And the more, the more I 
the more I read, the more I studied, the more I, I, I studied the greats, the more I read books by Warren Buffett and, 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 um, and I, you know, read any blog I could get my hold, my hands on and, and read any research piece from any investment bank I could get my hands on. And the more I carried out everything I learned and the more professional exams that I did here and there, the better I, I got at it. And because I always enjoyed to write, I then started a blog. Um, I was writing my ideas down. You know, first of all, I started off by writing, you know, you write the news for the team and you write, you know, what happened in Asian markets for the team. And then from there, you start to write the trade ideas and then you start get get some phrases for your trade ideas. Um, and then you realize, hold on a minute, I think I'm actually really good at this. <laughs> and it's like, hold on. And then when you then, then someone says, why don't you write a blog? And then you write a blog, you start a blog and everyone's like, wow, this makes sense. And, and you realize, hold on a minute, I think I'm actually really good at this. And, you know, from there, and here we here, here I am today. So it's not. I don't think I had a. I, I'm going to be a. I, I had the. I'm, I'm going to be an amazing hedge fund manager, an amazing investor at some point. But I, I'm not sure about other people's stories. My story is from the beginning. I didn't think. I didn't wake up thinking I'm going to be an amazing hedge fund manager. I just thought to myself, I'm doing this, and oh wow, I think I'm actually quite good at it. And 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 yeah, and, and the rest is history. Well, such an interesting origin story. Thank you very much for sharing that. <laughs> I'm particularly, you know, um, blown away by the fact that you were in, quite a lot into music, you know, in, instruments <laughs> and all that. Hopefully, yeah. I, I have yeah. a question on that, but hopefully at the end of the day, if I remember, I hope I remember, I'll bring that up. No problem. Okay. No problem. No problem. I'm here. All right. So the core of our conversation today will be about the changes that are going on, sort of, quote and unquote, within the market generally. And that will be the equity space versus the fixed income space. Um, One of the investors, the great investors I followed, that's um, Howard Max. Um, He's written a a memo not too long ago, which he titled Sea Change. he described the sea changes, you know, changes that are going on within the financial landscape that have the capability or the ability to, you know, change things around and make things that, you know, truly this time it will be different. Uh, so we're hoping to have this conversation, hoping that retail investors will learn from the possible sea changes going on right now in the global, you know, investing space, even particularly in the Nigerian investor space. Um, so first, I'd like to talk about the past decade thereabouts or you know, where fixed income have, you know, consistently defeated or, you know, returned better than equities. Um, We know that ideally in in the risk return, you know, um, probability ratio, you expect a more risky investment uh, stocks, quote unquote, to yield more returns than the fixed income, which is uh, a lesser risk profile. But this wasn't the scenario. We've seen, you know, a good few decades where, or a good decade where, fixed income persistently returned better than equities. Do you mind just shedding some light on this? Why, your thoughts as to why this was so? Um, I think one of my main, one of my main, um, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons I think is just, it it was a lot of it was, um, it was global markets led and had to do with um, policy, um, had to do with, you know, um, interest rates of quite a lot of countries being quite low. Um, and as you know, some prices are inverted correlated with interest rates. So you know, if interest rates go down, bond prices go high. And what you, what you what we've been in for a while, up until probably uh, just COVID-ish period, is we've been to a period of you know low inflation and low rates, which has meant um, 
higher bond prices. Um, and it's, in that sense, it's just been a lot more interesting for investors to sort of have an easier way to predict bond prices um, and, and just being able to play bond, bond prices, being able to play bonds. So you know that the um, Fed or whatever central bank is going to keep your bond rates low because they're trying to create more liquidity, because they're trying to influence spending, because they're trying to create wage growth, whatever it is. Um, so you're seeing um, liquidity coming to the market, and one of the best ways for these guys to pay liquidity is to, to interest rates. So we, 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 we went through a period of, um, of low rates, which have been very, a uh, lot more attractive for, for, for equities. I'm sorry, for fixing some of the equities. I mean, one, one would have thought, though, that, you know, if equities are doing, doing the yields are higher, and bond yields and people um, tend towards equities. But regardless, uh, the environment has just allowed people to be able to easily trade the bond market, easily get liquidity and easily to know that I can just put, stick my money in bonds and I know that they're going to go up. It's, it's, it's all been um, interest rate led in my view. Perfect. Thank you very much. I'm sure the retail investors can wrap their brains or they wrap their heads around that um, simple and short explanation. And um in the past three years, there about we've seen a change. We've seen equities begin to stage a comeback. Um, three years ago, I think in 2021, the NGX returned 47% in one year. In fact, that, I think the NGX was probably the best performing index in the world uh, at that for that year. In 2022, it returned 19.98%, almost 20%. And so far in 2023. Uh, as at a few days ago, um, the index had returned 37% already this year. Um, so the, the looking Comparing that those returns with the 10-year bonds, uh, we saw 10-year bonds persistently around 12%, 13%, 15% over those three years thereabout. What informed this change? What has driven equities to suddenly wake up and start outperforming? Uh, so it, it's sort of the... the so I call it the great unwind, where you've had, and this is me speaking globally, and I'll start from global and go into Nigeria, where you've had a lot of liquidity, right? So you've had a lot of central bank company liquidity, keeping rates low. Um, now what happens with all this liquidity is, is you wanted to increase spending, and now you have spending. So now you have, um, with, with great liquidity, with great spending comes great inflation. Um, so what you have in a macro perspective is you have an inflation just go through the roof across the world globally, right? Um, so, so um, inflation goes through the roof, uh, and um, here comes now the unwinders is great tightening. So, central bank now trying to tighten and, and raise and taking rates up. What happens is the exact opposite is going on now. So, we've come from a period of rates going down, prices going up. So, rates going up, prices going down. So, bonds prices, mark to market, are looking unattractive. Even though the yields might be looking at slightly better, but you know that your yields are going to keep going up, and if your yields keep keep, keep going up. On a day to day, on a month, uh, a month, a month, I mean, your bond prices go down, and naturally, um, I always I describe to retail, I, I describe this to retail investors: um, uh, inflation or uh, inflation means the price of things are going up, right? So the price of things are going up. You know, I look at what the things um, equity that come to the equity market. And so generally, in a high inflation environment, equity prices do well. Um, that's just one of the laws of economics. So. You're now going away. So you have to. You then have the great bit on wine of investors coming away from um, bonds because you're seeing bond prices go down as we're going into high inflation, um, and then you're seeing equity prices go up. And so you have that on wine. You have that move from from from, from bonds to equity. 
and, and that's what you that's what you've seen. So we're now in an inflationary environment, um, and there are also certain stocks and certain you know stocks that do well in the sort of environment, like banks, for example, and other um, stocks generally tend to do well in this in this environment because um, consumer goods, defensive stocks do well as well, uh, because yeah, some of these guys are able to pass up the, the, the pass prices on, you know, be able to get wider margins um, from the product. So any effective valuation of these stocks. Um, so generally, um, but from a macro perspective, I'm talking on the macro level now, we are going into an inflation environment with a, with very uh, with, less, with less liquidity and high interest rates. So naturally, the investor's mind is to kind of follow the flow, follow the money into going to bond prices. Uh, sorry, to going to, um, to equities and, and to enjoy the the upside and the, and, and the equity side. Perfect. Thank you very much, sir. Um, now, just looking at things, looking at things at present, I, I suspect or I, I kind of have the feeling that we are at the cusp of another sea change, which is a, a lot of changes, a reversal. Maybe I might be wrong, but I'd love to hear your opinion on that. Um, gradually, we've begun to see fixed income yields begin to go up. Um, the 10-year bonds are now beginning to print almost at um, 16, 17, even some 18%. Um, what are your thoughts about the balance between equities and fixed income looking over the next five years? So particularly for Nigeria, it's a very interesting one, right? So um, Nigeria is a very interesting one. I'm, I'm, I don't need to tell you, there's so many moving parts for us right now, but I'll, I'll start again from the top. So um, Nigeria is sort of converging with the rest of the world, as well, diverging, where you have, we're, we're still going deep into our inflationary environment, and almost the rest of the world, even Ghana is going to lower, not lower inflation in Nigeria, but lower you know, year-on-year inflation. Um, and then globally as well, I mean, the U.S. CPI came out at 3.2% uh, better than everyone's expectation of 3.3, and, yeah, and, and last month was 3.7%. So what that means is now globally, you're, you're getting yields go down, right? So you're getting yields go down, but Nigerian yields are still picking up because we've sort of, we're a bit late to the party and we've had a lot of, we still have some structural issues and some wrong decisions that were made, probably by some wrong policies that were put in place. Um, what that means is our yield is high. Right, like you, you, you rightly said, um, between 16 and 18 percent for some. Even on the short end, you have our treasury yields of about 20 percent, our one-year T-bill yields, right, between 19 and 20 percent. Um, are we going through a change? Probably, because if 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 I was sitting as an investor right now and I know that a one-year treasury bill is you know 19, 20 percent, uh, I'll be buying treasury bills because it's yielding quite high. Um, so, you know, but naturally what that's going to mean is you're going to have, um, you're going to have liquidity now flowing to the short end of the curve. Um, and not necessarily the long end yet because we still think that yields are still higher because inflation is still up, is still quite high at 27 odd percent. Um, and we still think, uh, there's, there's an MPR, MPC, MPC uh, meeting, monetary policy committee meeting on Monday. Um, the monetary policy rate is going to be most probably, um, um, tightened to go higher. Because we're going to go higher on, on Monday as we still try to trap inflation and, 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 and protect our currency. Um, so what you have is investors know the yields are going to go higher. So right now for the rest of the year, I think it might sit back on bonds a little bit and equities are going to finish nice and up this year. Um, but regardless, you're going to have, you're going to start seeing money from next year, I think, going to treasury. Um, even from this quarter, from the end of this quarter, going into more T-bills and treasury bills because you're now starting to get you're now starting to get higher yields of the treasury. 
you're not if you're higher yields on a cheap yield than you are your your your, your dividend yield from the favorite stock. Um, so I think what you see right now is you probably see money going to the short end of the curve to buy more treasuries, or you're still going to still have some money going into the, the equity market. But what, what makes next year interesting is you have what we call the FPI, the foreign portfolio investors. Um, if you look at the, the global market as it stands now, we're having, uh, we're going to start seeing lower yields. Let's say U.S. treasuries are going to start edging lower. They've already started edging lower. The U.S. Treasuries had a high of about five point something percent a couple of weeks ago, and today it's probably around four point four, four point five. I think going into next year, as the Fed um, starts to, as the Fed starts to pause, as well as reduce rates, you're going to start having global yields go down, and then Nigeria yields are going to start getting interesting to investors. Um, but that's that's more that's going to be more of a next year. So next year, I think bonds are going to do well. Um, this year, bonds are going to suffer because generally we're still getting that shift where the, the bond users are trying to find, trying to find their, their position. So while the rest of the year, the bond users are trying to find their position, equities will finish well, and then bonds will start to kick up next year, in my opinion. Wow, that's um, a cheat sheet for <laughs> retail investors. Any retail investor listening, um, you've, you've, you've stylishly told them how to structure their portfolio, and I, we really appreciate that. <laughs> I actually have. <laughs> it's fine. Now, if we were to just hone down on equities, um, are there certain okay. are there certain industries or are there certain players or certain names that you feel in the Nigerian markets might benefit from some of all these changes, or where should investors be looking at at present? Um, if I if I was if I was um, an equity investor, I'd be just from a macro perspective, without really mentioning any stuff, any particular stuff to say. But sector wise, I'd be looking at banks. Um, I think that banks are poised to take advantage of this macro environment in general, right? So you have, um, let's not talk about effects liberalization and revaluation of the effects book. That's another conversation because we're trying to figure out what's going on there. But you also have um, high interest rates. So banks generally tend to do well in high interest rate environment um, because the net interest margins get wider and they, do, they make more money, you know, so it shows. Um, they do well in an inflationary environment and they do well in a, in a, in a high interest rate environment. And what we're going in, what we're already in, is a high interest rate environment and a high inflation environment too. And I suspect that from next week's meeting, the interest rate environment gets even higher. And generally speaking, banks banks have to do well. So I'll be looking at some top quality banks, especially the tier one banks. I'll be looking at probably your GT Co, your Zenith, your First Bank, your Axis Bank. Um, those are quite easy plays. Tier one banks quite easy plays. Some tier two banks, and FCMB might do well. Um, you're already seeing, you're already seeing some activity. I'm not sure. How are you listeners follow the, the, the markets? But there's already activity going on in, in you know, Providence Bank buying a, a, a bank here, uh, uh, Titan buying another bank. So there was, there's a basically many activity going on in the banks. Um, but the banking sector for me, if I had to, if there was a list of sectors, the banking sector is my number one sector, so part my cash in. So how, how I'd um, structure my portfolio is I'll be buying banks and I'll be buying treasury bills, T bills. Wow, thank you very much. Um, we really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, now, um, in, in your experience or in your vast experience, I'm sure you've come across loads and lots of retail investors. Um, retail investors tend to shoot themselves in the foot many times with some of the behaviors <laughs> and some how they behave sometimes in the markets. Do you mind just sharing a few negative behaviors or a few things that you wish you could correct even with retail investors? 
I think they, I think retail investors tend to buy high and sell low. <laughs> yeah. You buy when everyone's buying, when you, then you find you heard about it, when everyone's when everyone's talking about it, when you're you know, but the whole thing is when your taxi driver's talking about it. You know, that's when, that's when you're buying, and then you sell when um, when it's low, when no one wants to talk about it, when it's not when it isn't popular anymore. Uh, I think I think that um, as a retail investor, one of the best things you can do is you know. Um, if you are too busy, I, know I always say this to retail investors, there are people who um, do this as a nine to five, um, people like myself and other fund managers and asset managers across the world. Um, you know, if you are too busy and you keep finding yourself buying high and selling low, um, it just means you're too busy and, and perhaps you should, you know, um, give your funds or fund managers to look after it. But if, but if not, then you just have to read as much as you can and, and, and study as much as you can. Um, have a stock that you like, or have a sector that you like, um, um, or have a have an industry that you like, or you have an affinity to. One of the ways that one of one of the ways I started to invest in Nigeria um, was was palm oil. When I was a kid growing up, um, we had uh, palm oil plants behind our behind my, my home, and I always had a thing for palm oil. Um, one of my first blogs was on palm oil. Um, so one of the first Nigerian stocks I bought for myself was um, Okonu oil, and I also bought Presco because of palm oil, and because I had this thing for palm oil, I also bought a stock called Decal Oil in Cote d'Ivoire, but this is in London, um, you know, palm oil. So uh, because I had this thing for palm oil, it was easy for me to read up on it, study up on it, read up what, what palm oil meant, read up on what exports and imports of palm oil meant in, in different countries, from Ghana to Cote d'Ivoire to Nigeria. Um, so that could be a way for uh, a retail investor to just do something you know. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a 12-year-old son, and he... He, he likes his phone and likes his iPhone and he keeps asking dad what to do and I talk to him about, about buying Apple stocks <laughs> you know um, um, so it's it's one of the best things I can say is, is pick pick a, a, a sector an industry a uh, company that you know and you like and just watch it closely read everything that, that, that they release read all their all the reports read analyst statements on it read, read what people say about it search news on it, or you have YouTube, you have social media, um, and then you can actually then get an idea of exactly how this company is doing and how they make their money. And then, because you're an investor, not a trader, you're not necessarily worried about buying low, selling high, buying high, selling low. You just know that you're in this company for growth, and this company's going to do well because it's a certain industry, and it's so the customers buy it, and the customer um, growth is this, and the, the average revenue to users is that, and you know, you can kind of figure it out. Okay, you know what? If this is what's happening, this is how they make the money. I know that it's going to do this and it's going to do that. And then you can actually kind of go into it and buy it. And once you hold on to it, you can then continue to work on it. And then slowly from there, you can sort of look at, you know, my son started investing in Apple stocks. And now he's into the chip makers of Apple, which is ARM. And now he knows ARM make chips. They're the chips for Apple and they make the chips for Samsung. And now he's buying ARM. So just like that, you can kind of start getting into into investing and into making the right decisions for your portfolio. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for sharing all of that. Um, I'm also I'm also a dad to myself. I'm sure if you listen, you can hear my son screeching in the background. <laughs> so I'm I'm learning from you to how to pass the baton on because that's one big question that has been on my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I would like to end with two questions. One, I'll bring back the music <laughs> that you talked about at the beginning. <laughs> 
sure. Now there's this arguments <laughs> of um, specialization versus generalists. Um, some people have said, okay. you know, it's good to be vast, to be varied. You've talked about music. You've talked about, you know, bringing Pamol, you know, reading, wide reading. So uh, what do you think? How do you think being a generalist sort of in your early days, you know, music, investing, learning, all these various different abstract fields, how has this influenced your investing? And would you recommend being a generalist or being a specialist? Oh, wow. <laughs> I've never, ever thought about that. Um, okay. I think that you use what you have in your hands, right? So I'm not trying to get religious. I'm not a religious person, but I will tell the story in the Bible. And forgive me. Forgive me if I offend anyone. But I really live by this story. So there's a story of uh, a man called Moses and the burning bush, right? And um, so uh, I hope this answers your question. And, and he goes to the burning bush, and the burning bush says to him, set my people free. And the story goes that this man called Moses said, I can't speak, I can't do this, I can't do that. How can I set your people free? And the burning bush says to him, what do you have in your hand? And what I believe in that story is, I'm not sure whether that means Moses is a generalist or whatever it is, but you just use what you have in your hand to try and get to where you need to get to. Um, as, as an investor, you'd be surprised in, in, in so many ways how my music um, and my performance skills has helped me become a better speaker, uh, a better, a good at explaining things and connecting to people as an investor. You know, um, yeah, I, I always use numbers for music. I play the piano, and when I learned the piano, I learned one, three, five, you know, C, E, E, G. That's, those are numbers. When I play the piano, the black kids and white kids, I see numbers. And I've, I use numbers in investments. It's not complicated. I'm just saying my affinity for numbers, um, you know, I always did well in math in school. Um, I use maths in school to help me with music. I use maths in music and maths in general to help me invest in. And I use my ability to be able to stand on stage and perform to be able to speak to a few of investors or one investor just to connect. Um, does it make me a generalist? Uh, as an investor, I look at everything. Um, I started off with what I had in my hand, which was palm oil. I knew palm oil. I liked palm oil. I read about palm oil. I had the thing for palm oil. I love palm soup. And I went with that and Next thing you know, I'm covering not just commodities, but I cover not just Nigeria, not just Ghana, not just Egypt, but I, you know, I trade U.S. treasuries and I'm trading Indian bonds and I'm, you know, I'm in Vietnam buying and selling Pakistani stocks. Um, so does it make me a generalist or does it make me a specialist? Um, I've always been multi-strategy. You know, I encourage my, the, the, the people that, that I look after uh, work to be, to look at the market as a whole because there's a whole connection but it always starts with what you have in your hand, you know, and I hope that answers your question, but that's just how I see it. Before I do anything, I just look at what do I have in my hand and where am I trying to go to? So what, how can I use what I have in my hand to get to where I need to get to? Believe me, you, it answers the question perfectly. Thank you very much for sharing. <laughs> that. Um, Thank you so much. Harry. Thank you. The next question or the last question now, sort of, um, you talked about reading and you, you come across to me, you've talked about reading Warren Buffett and almost everything written about him. Um, are there any books you are reading right now? And if you had to recommend any books for the retail investors, what book would you recommend? Um, so I'm actually, what I'm reading right now is a book called Principles by Ray, Ray, Ray Dalio. Um, it's not necessarily about investing per se, but it's about his, his views on and his principles in life and how to create your principles and how to point out your principles. 
Um, and that's kind of what I'm reading right now. And in terms of, in terms of investments and books and investments, I, I read quite a bit um, widely. But one of the books that actually changed my life was George, one of George Soros' books. Um, for the life of me, I, I can't remember the name, but the book changed my way of investing because it made me look at, at the markets as, as, as a behavior, as a human behavior, and made me look at behavioral economics. And it made me very... Uh, it, it, it took me from a value investor and looking for cheap and looking for value. And um, it took me from there into being a, a macro investor and looking at the market as, as, a, living, as a living organism. Um, so I, I would say a couple of good um, old school investors. That the three, three main guys that shaped my thinking in investments, Warren Buffett, George Soros, and a gentleman by the name of um, Jim Slater. Jim Slater has a book called The Zulu Principle, um, which goes into talks about PEG, um, price earnings growth. Um, so price earnings over five-year EPS growth. Those people sort of shaped, started off shaping my my um, my thinking as uh, the way I see the markets. And then, but I also have practical experience with very, very intelligent uh, and smart investors and, and traders. Um, one was well, one was a gentleman by the name of, of Russell Clark. Um, Russell Clark was the hedge fund manager of a, of a hedge fund called Awesome Capital, and I had the privilege of interning there. Um, and he has an amazing blog um, of Substack. You can Google Russell Clark. Um, another was a gentleman by the name of Tutu Ajari who um, had the foresight to to, to hire me. Uh, Tutu Ajari was one of the first um, bureaus of traders um, in London, our first black, rather. Um, he was on the board of UBS. Uh, I also worked with another gentleman by the name of Titus Dakwa, who was an amazing derivative trader. Um, so I read these people. I, not only did I read the books of the authors that I mentioned, but I read these people and I studied these people. And I still talk to these people until now. Um, and just, but in terms of wide reading, it's, it's another book that I, I, I like to recommend um, people is The Reminiscence of a Stock Operator which is a very interesting book on, 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 on trading and investments. It's a very old book, uh, I think, written around the, the 1920s. Um, and there's so many revisions of the book, you can easily find it as well. Um, so a good book on just stories, a good book on reminiscence of the operator, um, uh, Jim Slater's uh, Zulu Principle, um, and just being able to work. I, I, I'm, I'm privileged, so privileged to, to stand on the, on the shoulders of great men and none of who I am is, is just me. And I, I tell you that and I'll say that humbly. Um, so uh, for retail investors, I'll say find a good investor um, and most are willing to teach, most are willing to listen. And I just talk to them and ask them questions. I think I learned more by talking to these investors that I had access to um, than I actually did by reading, which is very interesting, interesting thing to say. I still talk to Russell Clark, I still talk to Titus, I still talk to Tutu, um, and I still go back to the occasional flip-through of, of, of a George Soros book or, or Russell Clark blog. Well, it's been a brilliant um, 45 minutes having this conversation with you, sir. Thank you very much for your time. Um, any final Thanks words Final words for investors before we let you go? Uh, <laughs> buy low, sell high. <laughs> if if only it were that uh, if it's simple I know. it's simple but it's not <laughs> totally. easy <laughs> thank you very totally, much for your totally. time thank you for having me thank you All right. Bye-bye. Perfect. hopefully we can bring you back to, again to the podcast sometime in the future oh, yeah, I'm welcome. you're welcome anytime anytime I'm here All right, All right. perfect